0: Um, welcome to the launch of Footprint Intelligence's latest report, The Future of Food Service Packaging. That's me. Uh, our thanks to Baxter Story for not only partnering this important document, but also for providing this marvellous venue, which um, I think you'll all agree is, is fairly plush. Um, it goes without saying that packaging, for all its environmental faults, is a necessary evil in food service. Where shelf life, condition, containment, and efficient distribution is paramount. Historically, food service packaging carried no branding as it was shipped direct from wholesaler to the kitchen. But the borders between food service and retail have blurred in recent years, and with the increase of the QSR type offer in the marketplace, and with that branded packaging. So, this has added another dimension for the operator to consider that of perception. And corporate reputation. A discarded carton or cup in the gutter bearing an operator's name can only leave a negative impression. We are shortly to have a um, presentation of the report from its author David Burrows which will be followed by a panel session um, moderated by interrogator-in-chief Nick Hughes who is also the report's editor. Uh, Before we go into that I'd just like to say something about Something from a, a footprint perspective. Our objective with footprint intelligence reports is that not only do they forensically drill down into the particular subject, but they are accessible to non specialists, easily digestible, and that excerpts can be used in isolation. The report goes out on general release tomorrow, but all of you here who have registered will be receiving a download of it in your inboxes this afternoon. I would urge you to read it. It is highly informative, it covers all the bases, it dispels some of the myths, and it creates a clear picture of the status quo. It's a document for anybody wanting sound, wanting sound insight into the facts behind this packaging quandary, food service or otherwise. And for something of a business nature, it's actually a good read. So, on that note, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Alistair Story, Chairman and Chief Executive of WSH. Alistair.
1: Uh, good afternoon, and uh, a warm welcome here to 30 Pavilion Road, which I believe uh, has a history in society of some interesting parties and events. So if you were a Sloanie, uh 30 or 40 years ago, um, give us some stories. Um, it's great to have uh, partnered up with Footprint and helped to sponsor this report, which I'm really fascinated in. It's a subject matter that is really of great importance uh, to all of us, uh, and I think that hopefully the debates that start off today um, will help stimulate solutions and options and encourage all the talent in this room to think about ways in which we can play our part. And there's two things that spring to mind uh, for somebody like myself, I think uh, Boris Johnson described as a crusty, who's been in the industry a hell of a long time. Uh, I keep telling our team that when... I started an industry, we would uh, have a line in our budgets called cater- uh, cleaning materials and disposables, and we would reckon that that would be about 1% of um, sales. It's probably anywhere between five and seven times that now. The world has changed, and we've changed with it, but we need to think about how we reverse that process. And The second thing that sticks to my mind is that in 1992... I was in Boston, and I was sitting outside Faneuil Market, for those of you who know it. And, uh, I mean, bear in mind, this isn't that long ago, about a quarter of a century ago. And I was absolutely astonished that people were wandering around eating and drinking food in disposables. Nothing, I that's, that's, that's weird, that's amazing. And now it's come to us. It's not that there's anything wrong with people wanting to do these things. We've just got to think of a way that we can accommodate people's wishes, uh, but do it in a more environmentally friendly way, uh, and perhaps get people to moderate some of their behaviour, because it's for all of us to contribute. So I hope we have a good debate this afternoon, and uh, be fascinating to see what comes out of it. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Alistair. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name's Nick Hughes, Associate Editor at Footprint and Editor of the Future of Food Service Packaging Report, and I will be your moderator for today's forum. I've been racking my brains on the train on the way up here, trying to recall an environmental issue that has just exploded into the public consciousness in the same way as plastic, and that stayed front of mind for such a long period of time. And I've really struggled. Um, you know, issues such as GM food periodically rise to the top of the public agenda, but then often fall backwards a few months later as other issues take precedence. Plastic, on the other hand, seems to be this runaway train that just keeps on moving and no one seems to know how to bring it to a halt. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, the imagery around packaging has been so powerful and emotive. Um, Obviously, the starting point being Blue Planet 2, which showed in a very visceral way the devastating effect that plastic pollution is having on marine life. Secondly, I think there's also a a visibility factor at play here. Plastic is not hidden away in processed products, like palm oil, for example. Most of us come into contact with plastic several times a day, whether that be the food we buy, the cosmetics, the toys, all manner of fast-moving consumer goods products. And the fact that plastic is so ubiquitous means that whenever we're faced with this product that's seemingly indestructible, we inevitably end up thinking about where does it all end up? Where does it go once we've disposed of it? And I think, finally, there's a real sense among people that this is an environmental issue that really should be solvable. For a start, we can simply, as consumers, choose to consume less plastic, often just with using a little bit of foresight. We're also more aware of the alternatives to plastic than ever before, although, as the report shows, some of these aren't without their own challenges. And if we do use plastic, then we know that technically, at least, most plastic is recyclable. It's just a case of governments and businesses working together to create an enabling environment that actually allows it to get to the place where it can be disposed of responsibly. So I hope you all enjoy reading the report um, and find some useful insights contained within it. Um, I know I... speak for David as well when I say it was actually, it was a fascinating report to work on. Um, and I speak as someone who, who not so long ago wrote a report on the General Data Protection Regulation. So I know what the flip side of that fascination coin looks like. Um, so please do tweet during today's proceedings. Uh, the Wi-Fi is free. It's uh, CSC's guest is the... Is the uh, the name, and there's no password required, so please do log on and tweet under the hashtag futureofpackaging. And I'd now like to hand over to my co-collaborator and the reports writer, David Burrows, who will present the key findings. David.
3: Thanks very much, Nick. Um, I hope my voice lasts the duration. Um, I'm suffering a bit from cold and a daughter that sees 3am as a new 7am, so um, do bear with me. Um, As Nick said, this is an extremely timely report, we felt. Um, What we wanted to look at is there's been a lot of focus on packaging. But a lot of the emphasis has been on what's happening in the supermarkets, the fast-moving consumer goods. A little bit less so what's happening in food service, the high street um, food-to-go brands, as well as the contract caterers. Uh, So what we wanted to do is build a better picture of how, take the pulse of the industry, I suppose, to to get a feel for how they were feeling about all this. And how we did that was to, um, we spoke to more than 20, I think, experts from up and down the supply chain, um, hospitality businesses, caterers, um, high street food to go brands, waste contractors, think tanks, um, to build up a picture of how they were feeling. And I I just want to thank all those that were involved in the report for all the hours they spent um, being grilled by myself and Nick for the report, because the interviews were extremely candid and we feel like we've got a good starting point here. So, there were four areas that we wanted to look at, really. Um, How much packaging is out there, the kind of materials there are, uh, how customers were feeling about those. Um, Where does it go? Where does on-the-go packaging go? Um, Where does it end up? Uh, We wanted to understand a little bit more about that. Um, How it's treated? Is it recycled? Is it composted? Is it burned? Is it buried? Um, is it none of the above? Um, and then we wanted to gauge really how this industry has reacted in the past couple of years. Are they setting targets? Are they joining the voluntary industry commitments? Have they started reuse trials? Are they switching materials? And all that would give us a better picture of, uh, of where we are now. And I think we went, we went into it maybe feeling that we'd um, get a reaction a little bit, something like this. Now, this is uh, polymer scientist at Innovate UK, uh, Sally Beacon, about 18 months ago, she said, when I mentioned I'm involved with plastics for a living, I sometimes get a look along the lines of, you killed a baby whale. And we went into it feeling that maybe that's how, that, that's how industry um, might be feeling, because there's a lot of pressure, you know, and everybody told us there is a lot of pressure on us to be seen to be doing something. And everybody well knows that the pressure has come from, you know, amongst others, these people, um, Hugh Fernley with his um, War on Waste and the Disposable Cups, David Attenborough, of course, many see the BBC Blue Planet as the, the tipping point for this whole debate, and the former DEFRA secretary, um, uh, Michael Gove, who um, obviously started this big overhaul of our, how we deal with waste in the country, Um, and then promptly move to one side to let somebody else implement it. So we'll see what you know, this is one of the areas where you know people are rightly um, a little bit caught in the headlights because we don't know what's going to be happening um, around the, we know the general direction of travel, people told us they know the general direction but the specifics uh, really aren't there yet. And the reason why politicians have been buoyed by this is because of these people and that's the public and your customers and so in the report um what we tried to do is pull together some of the data on how the public is feeling about this and almost weekly i might even say daily we get another poll saying the public is anti-plastic so we tried to we tried to unpick some of these reports, some of these surveys um, and see how consumers were feeling so 46%, um, and all the, all the statistics, by the way, that I'm using today, they're all in the report and fully referenced. Um, so you can check out where all these different st- statistics come from. So 46% are feeling guilty about the amount of plastic they use. So much so that 48% would pay a premium, um, and in this example, they'd pay a premium to eat in a chicken shop or a burger bar that didn't have any plastic. What it would have instead is a moot point. Um, and the other, one, the other really interesting consumer stat um, is 19% felt it was their own responsibility to do something about it. Um, so almost one in five feel they could do something about it. Um, so it's how the industry helps, helps them do that. Now. They did feel 90% that it was their responsibility, but a far greater number felt it was the responsibility of you guys and government. Um, and I think what we got is a, is a real feeling um, that there's a sort of a, a very anti plastic sentiment. It's not anti packaging, it's very much anti plastic at the moment. And so when you look at some of the items, they, These are statistics based on um, one survey uh, by YouGov, I think this one was, um, earlier this year, and this is support for banning these items. So 80% want disposable plastic lined coffee cups gone. Again, replaced with what? Um, 77% didn't want to see the sort of clam shaped um, food service takeaway containers, and 73% didn't want to see um, plastic um, condiment sachets, the sort of single-use ones that you get. And all that pressure we found has led to businesses almost being forced to do something. And often what happens is they switch to a different material. Um, And that can have various unintended consequences. They can be environmental. Um, So by switching from one material to another, you can bump up your carbon footprint quite easily as well, and by quite a bit. Um, They can be reputational. McDonald's recently switched, as everybody knows, from plastic disposable straws to paper ones. And besides the story around whether they're recycled or not, there was also a problem in that their customers... Couldn't suck the drinks through the paper straws, and fifty thousand people signed a petition to say, "Please bring back the plastic ones because the paper ones don't work." Um, and the third sort of unintended consequence um, can be economic, and the the, the big example there is, um, or one of the well-known examples is Boston Tea Party, which banned disposable cups, um, and sales their takeaway sales dropped by two hundred and fifty thousand um, pound. So there were various unintended consequences from having these switches. And what, what people were telling us is that they're really stuck sometimes because the pressure is so great. And I think this quote was quite nice um, from Simon at Sodexo, who said, we have some clients that are contractually obliging us to provide compostable packaging. Now, that isn't me singling out compostable <coughs> packaging um, because they were being told to switch to other things as well. Um, and the problem is they were being told to switch, or contractually obliged to switch. And there are two points there. One was that the obligation was often coming from the marketing teams that were after some anti, sort of positive anti-plastic PR. Uh, and the other thing was that there was this pressure, despite there being no suitable disposal route for the material, <coughs> or the fact that it could bump up the overall footprint environmental footprint so this is really you know this is a really difficult position that, that, that businesses are finding themselves in um, and we do wonder whether you know enough due diligence is going on um, it's great to see um, some businesses that we spoke to pushing back on this kind of obligation and winning business as a result pushing back and saying this isn't the most sustainable option have you thought about x y or z and that was great to hear Um, But there's no doubt that there needs to be perhaps more due diligence um, as to what's being put on the market, sold to clients, and used, Um, and that is part of the discussion here. So the pressure's coming from lots of places. Um, What we also wanted to do then is look at some of the data on food service packaging that's out there. And, believe you me, there isn't a great deal. So, again, we tried to pull together some of the things that we do know. Um, And here are just some of the interesting um, uh, statistics that we found. Um, So, this first one, 44% um, of customers to the big high street coffee shop chains will take their drinks away from them. So, the first question there is, 56% are staying in the store to drink. So, is that an immediate win? To have ceramic cups, for instance. You could take a lot of disposable cups out of the market that way. Um, At McDonald's, 70% of their packaging is taken away. Again, 30% is eaten on site. Um, So, could they? Look at, and I know they are in Germany. I think, for example, anybody who wants to send me to Germany to check it out, I'm more than happy to. Um, in Germany, they're looking at using um, uh, sort of cutlery, um, ceramics, and things. But still, 70% of their packaging is taken away. And the problem is that last stat: that 42% of councils have on-the-go recycling, so 58% have no on-the-go recycling whatsoever. Uh, That's a recoup stat, I believe, uh, from a couple of years ago. Um, And even that 42% is terribly contaminated. Um, So there's not a great deal of value on it. And um, I think it was uh, Richard Ali from Hutamaki was talking about the need for a recycling superhighway. Um, Because if this industry is going to continue on the disposable packaging route, then that's something we need to certainly look at. And I'll come back um, to, to, to infrastructure in a bit. Um, and Richard also told, he kind of summed this up <laughs> um, when he told me it doesn't matter what goes into the street bins, whether it's a cup or a golden bar, it'll be incinerated. And that's probably the case. Um, but there are examples where it can, different systems can work. I think at the Olympics, they had a three-bin system um, with re- dry, dry mixed recyclables, general waste and compostables. And a lot of the compostables ended up in composting sites. And there was a huge amount recycled. So, these simple systems can work, but it's how we get them to work. Um, At the moment, if we look at how much is recycled, 66% of food service and hospitality packaging. That's a statistic from RAP, the Waste and Resources Action Programme, uh, based on 1.3 million tonnes of food service packaging waste. Um, need to take it with a bit of pinch of salt because it's, um, that's based on weight and there was a lot of glass recycled, so that's gonna um, tip it quite high. Um, uh, so you, you just gotta be careful. And the other thing to be very careful with, with that particular stat, is that it was 2013. And a lot's happened in this sector since 2013. And this is one of the things we try to outline in the report is just how much food to go has grown and what that means for the amount of packaging that's out there most of it not being recycled um so we've got 25 percent more takeaways um than three years ago thanks to the likes of just eat uber eats and the, and the like by the end of next year, um, Allegra thinks we'll have 10,000 coffee shops. It's just over 8,100, almost 8,150 at the moment. Um, 76% of people um, have lunch on the go as an everyday occasion. Phenomenal amounts of packaging that are being taken away from sites, possibly with nowhere to go. Um, there's also been a 9.5% increase in breakfast-to-go as well, which is you know, a, a, booming, uh, a, a booming area. So this is the situation we've got, really. We've got our bin for structure, the, all the bins, the street bins and things is falling. And at the same time, food-to-go, which is great for business, is booming. You know, those figures there from IGD, um, Look at what's happened between 2015 and 2018, another couple of billion. Um, so remember those RAP figures were 2013. So we need to get a better handle on, on some, of this, um, some of this data to see where they are, um, and what's happening to, the, um, to some of this um, food to go packaging. Now there are those that will feel that maybe EPR, extended producer responsibility, deposit return schemes, um, will help you know, develop this recycling superhighway that um, Richard at Hutamaki was talking to us about. Um, that's a big question. Um, but even if there is money available from EPR and DRS, um, we still need to know more about how much packaging there is. And uh, you know, it'd be no surprise that one of the researchers we talked to told us we need more research, but Professor Portinga from Cardiff University was quite, quite right when he said we need to know more about food-to-go packaging, where it goes, how far people go with it, what kind of bin do they need, um, so we can target the right infrastructure in the right places and make use of that money. So I think that's something that certainly the sector you know, will want to look at, is, is finding more data so that then they can look at how EPR might fund some kind of recycling superhighway. Um, So we need that extra data. I think one other data point that was quite interesting, Suez, the waste contractor, told us that they reckon half food to go waste ends up back at people's offices. So is that a good place to start? That's a a lot of packaging, but we need more information and we need more information as well. So we've got the baseline, for regulations that are coming pretty fast. And in the report, we talk um, a a wee bit about the regulations that are coming, um, both in the UK and Europe. Uh, There's the EU Single-Use Plastics Directive, where Member States and the UK will, in all likelihood, have to implement this, um, where we'll have to show substantial reductions in consumption of things like disposable cups, Um, disposable food containers. So we need that that starting point. And the other reason we need data is because of um, investors. They're increasingly interested in this. They see the regulation coming down the line. They see that certain types of packaging will become more expensive. They see businesses moving their models to move away from disposable packaging and how they're sort of buffering themselves against this. And they see the pressure from from consumers. So investors are very wary of their, this, and we reference a few reports from the likes of Morgan Stanley in the in the report that should just focus the minds um, a, a little bit more. Um, and what we saw, interestingly, is it, it's the contract caterers that seem to be re- reacting a bit more swiftly on this. They seem to be a bit more aggressive, a bit more progressive. Um, when it comes to um, looking at this issue of single-use packaging. And here's a quote from uh, Simon at SEDEC. So, um, it's fine to switch to an alternative uh, that's a bit more sustainable, um, but rather it's questioning why you need a straw or stirrer and whether you can use reusable items instead. And we had others. Um, Compass are in the fourth iteration of their single-use packaging guide just in 18 months. Uh, They've got a 10 to go list um, that's in line with the plastics pact, which we also talk a a wee bit about in the report. Um, There's a long, long way to go until all the unnecessary plastic for a start and packaging comes out. But it was really good to see some of that positive work um, going on. The more consumer-facing brands were a little bit more reticent um, when it comes to looking at, in particular, reusables. We were told... Three main barriers, cost, hygiene, and convenience. Those were the three barriers to reusable systems on the high street. Now hygiene is a bit of a red herring. Um, We spoke to environmental health officers, very experienced ones. Um, So I'm not quite sure whether, personally, I'm not quite sure whether hygiene is really uh, an issue, although it does need perhaps government to say that it's not an issue because otherwise if you're a, if you're a small coffee shop um, and you think there's a chance that if you switch to reusable someone's then going to come back and sue you if they get an upset tummy and you lose your business, you're not going to do that um, so I think it certainly needs ironing out um, but I'm not sure it's the huge barrier that, 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 that some insist that it is um, cost is another one yeah, it's, gonna, it's probably in the short term going to cost more um, to implement some of these reusable systems at scale. Um, I think this sort of sums it up from Robert Clark at, at Justy. E. As I said, everybody was very candid and offered a lot of time, so it's, it's great some of the, and hopefully you'll read the report, some of the insight in there is, is, is really eye-opening. So creating an entire new infrastructure inevitably brings cost into the product as well as raising questions around hygiene when reusing these products. So that kind of sums up where they are. And you know the cost, I've mentioned Boston Tea Party, people will be nervous um, uh, uh, about that, and Ellen MacArthur Foundation, you know, they, they admitted to me that it's a great shame that that statistic is out there. Um, and we do need sort of cool, hard business cases, really, to show these reusable systems um, work, and that consumers will come with you on that journey. Um, and we need we need more of those um hopefully we might get a better idea um when cup charging schemes for instance start being expanded a bit more um starbucks um added a 5p charge to their cups and the number of drinks sold in reusables jumped i think from two to six percent a national scheme in Scotland um, of 20 to 25p, people we spoke to could, you know, you could shift behaviour at 20 to 30%, but still you've got 70% of people not using reusables. So there's still all those disposable cups out there, and therefore the infrastructure um, infrastructure question. And one of the really good examples of um, uh, disposable, oh, it's not on there. Oh, well. um, I'll talk you through the stats. Um, Nick um, did a great investigation into um, where compostables across the parliamentary estate were ending up. Um, And in that was a really interesting statistic. And uh, I'm going to have to go off the top of my head now because um, there's nothing in front of me. Um, But monthly, basically added a 25p charge to compostable disposable cups. Monthly sales in disposable cups dropped from 58,000 uh, to fifteen thousand per month so that 's a forty three thousand le- fewer um, disposable cups um, so a seventy five percent drop without and here was the critical thing that it found without an impact on overall sales, so they weren 't selling less stuff they were just doing it in a different way so that brings me to the to the summary, just a brief, I, I thought I'd just leave you with three quotes maybe from the report um, that shows where we are, where we're kind of going, and where we might want to go maybe, um, but hopefully the panel will talk more about that. So single-use packaging is by far the best option for businesses, and that's something we have to deal with. Um, is it by far the best option um, from a cost perspective? Perhaps undoubtedly. Um, Food services are a sector built around products that consumers find convenient, but regulators now want eradicated. What do they want it? What do they want these replaced with? Um, another question is it? The regulation probably won't take us towards reusables. It'll take us to different materials. Is that where we want to go? And we are having conversations we wouldn't have had just a few months ago. Um, I think this was a Mike at Baxasori, maybe. Um, he said, one site is about to start charging for all takeaway items. You wouldn't have been able to do, that, to do that six months ago. So that shows the kind of conversations that people are starting to have and the progress that, that, that could be made. Um, and I'll leave you with maybe a question for the um, first question or one of the questions for the panel. Can food service match the growth figures forecast without single-use packaging? and increase its margins in the long-term, maybe, maybe. Thank you very much. Now, I'm not sure how I'm doing for time. Um, we're good for time. Does anybody have any burning questions about the report? I'm going to be sitting on the panel as well in a minute, but if, does anybody have any questions about anything that I've said or would like to know more about the report? Um, yes? So you might wonder about the clamshell the mm. problem. Yeah.
2: Was there any distinction made between expanded polystyrene versus other
3: plastics? Sorry, say that again?
2: Was there any distinction made in that survey between expanded polystyrene clamshells versus other plastic clamshells?
3: It was, I think they said plastic. That, uh, you know, that was there. so plastic, the, the whole YouGov survey was all about which plastic or... Um, part plastic products would you like banned? So obviously expanded polystyrene is used in a lot of those clam shaped um, but you've also got um, sort of the plastic ones with the lids that you're often getting curry houses and things that people reuse for their lunch and things can do um, and it also, you know, that's one of the reasons why some of this, some of the consumer surveys are, are so um, complicated to unpick is because you know, it doesn't define. I wonder what the results would have been if you said, you know, rather than plastic packaging, single-use packaging, um, because the results might have been, been quite different then. Um, because people think, well, what am I going to use instead? And that's one of the key issues with reusables: is is can we bring customers with us? You know, will will I want to go into? You know, will I want to go into a takeaway and take a tipping box and uh, and um, then wash it up and take it back. Uh, My brother-in-law has got a pizzeria, a couple of pizzerias in Edinburgh, and they're just about to start using the aluminium reusable boxes for pizzas. And so it'd be interesting to see. These things are happening, and often it's the smaller businesses, the more nimble ones, that are trying this stuff. So we don't really want to be left behind. But if you want um, more details, I can send you a link and stuff to that particular YouGov survey. But often they're very much couched in Plastic, not packaging and single use packaging. Any others?
4: Nope. Oh, yeah, what was the alternative
2: that people were using in the government trial around the coffee cups? You saw the massive reduction
3: in. Oh, either they were sitting in and having sort of a ceramic cup or they were bringing their own reusable cups. And was
2: that a government incentive internally to be <clears throat> better on PR or was
3: that. Um, for- for- yeah, I mean, uh, uh,
2: this was so. This was the parliamentary estate, so slightly mm. separate from central government. Um, I think it was just an initiative off their own back. They they put out a big um, announcement around the switch to compostable packaging for single use materials, and actually this was much given much lower billing um, when mm. when they talked about it. But yeah, I think it was just uh, in addition to that, we're also going to try and do this to see if it generates. Um, see if it incentivises people to bring their own reusables, because you're in quite a captive environment there. People aren't necessarily taking packaging outside of the parliamentary estate. Most people are working there or visiting. So um, I think that the increase was probably bigger than they expected, But, but perhaps because of the environment, it's easier to move to that kind of reusable system or bringing in ceramic cups, because people are actually consuming mostly on the premises. Um, but yeah, uh, central government's actually taking quite a different approach. I believe in pretty much outlawing all plastic, um, but not necessarily thinking about what it wants to replace it with.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges as well. Is that how it works? And we've got a lot of information on how all reusable schemes work in closed environments, and I'm sure Michael from Zero Waste Scotland will talk a bit about this on the panel as well. What we don't know, really, is when we're in more open environments. You know, we've got the Boston Tea Party, where, as I said, they banned them and lost £250,000. But is that, is that because customers aren't ready? Or is it because there just isn't the density of these reusable deposit and return schemes that make it convenient for them? That's the big question. I think, you know, there isn't that density and consumers need to find this convenient because, you know, 19% said, yeah, we're happy to do something, but what are they prepared to do? And so how can companies make it convenient, I think? And you need that, you know, I think the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is very keen to speak to business. And I'm not, you know, I don't work for them or talk to them, but they said that they were surprised that they hadn't been approached more by some of the big high street brands to say, how can we get one of these schemes off the ground? Because nobody's doing it yet. Any other questions before we move to the panel? Thank you very much.
2: Um, thank you, David. We need your voice again, I'm afraid. Um, so, pop a, pop a soother in. And uh, if I can ask the other members of the panel to come up to the front and uh, take their seats on well, seats or, or thrones, perhaps, might be more appropriate. They're rather opulent. Okay, well, thank you firstly to the panellists for giving of your time to take part today. Um, the intention is this is an open discussion. Um, I will introduce the panellists, but really we want your input, your questions, your comments, um, so don't be shy and please do feel free to challenge our uh, guests as, uh, as, as much as possible. Um, so, closest to me, uh, we'll start with Michael Lenihan. Michael is environmental policy advisor at Zero Waste Scotland. Next to him is Neil Whittle. Neil is a a man with many hats uh, as Food Service Packaging Association Director, um, Chair of the Paper Cup Recovery and Recycling Group, uh, and also works for Hutanaki. Next to Neil, we have Mike Hansen, as I'm sure many of you know. Mike is uh, Head of Sustainable Business at today's sponsor's Baxter Story. Next to Mike is Selena Fernandez, Fernandez, Selena is Head of Environment for Compass UK and Ireland, um, and David has already introduced himself. So, as I said, we will open the floor to questions and comments, but uh, perhaps a a gentle full toss to ease our panellists into the discussion. Um, Michael, perhaps starting with you, can I just ask very briefly just to share a few key insights um, in terms of what you've Learned about the packaging sustainability debates over recent years that you feel will help inform today's discussion?
5: Thanks Thanks for having me. Um, Well, my team and I have been doing a bunch of behavior change work mostly. Uh, So recently we've reported a few um, field trials we did on reusable cup schemes, uh, charging, (coughs) and ultimately our studies helped inform the recommendation from the expert panel in Scotland implement separate charging obligations for uh, single-use cups. Um, Notably that's the recommendation was not for a levy it was for an obligation to sell uh, packaging separately and this goes to a key insight that we've um, honed in on is standard economics says if you raise the price of something people will consume it less all things being equal. That's not insightful that's just common sense but what we showed is that Uh, You don't need to increase the price, you just need to give it a price. And so single-use packaging frequently appears free, and everyone in this room knows that in fact it has a cost, but not for the consumer. And if you ask the consumer how much single-use packaging do you buy, they will say, well, none. I buy products, I don't buy packaging. But of course, they do pay for packaging all the time. Those costs are bundled into the price of the products they purchase. So, what the studies we've been doing is look, uh, have, have looked at separating out that price, making that price very visible to consumers without changing the overall cost of the, of, of the sale. And what we find is, is that when you make the cost of packaging evident to consumers and you give them an opportunity to opt out, what you'll find is that they will do that. And that goes back to loss aversion, and that uh, hints at why, um, in one study where we replaced single use or reusable cup discounts, with (laughs) cost-neutral equivalent single-use cup charges, price was the same, the exact same sale price, the exact same incentive value, what we found is that there was a dramatic increase in reuse rates. And that that is counter to conventional economics, and that gets back to this idea that consumers will um, make greater effort to avoid an economic loss than they will to obtain an economic gain gain of the same value. So that's a lot of the work we've been doing, Uh, but lots more to talk about. (coughs) <coughs> yeah. so, sorry, in
6: terms
2: of just, just some key insights, Neil, from your experience working on this agenda. Um. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm unfortunately an old crusty
6: as well, um, it's um, 30, <laughs> 30 years um, I've been working in this industry and I think it's, you know, the times have changed in terms of messaging that's out there, but one thing I, I would say in the back of that is that actually, The companies that are involved in it, the people involved in it, have always actually been working extremely hard on the products and services that they sell. We fully recognise, I'm talking here as a manufacturer or as a paper cup recovery and recycling group or food service packaging, we fully recognise that there are a number of options for consumers. But in certain circumstances, in certain environments, (coughs) those products need to be single-use products that you take away and that's part of the business model it's part of the economic model that's out there that makes businesses thrive and survive but on the other hand is we all need to know that we do that extremely <coughs> responsibly so you need to know the covenants of your raw materials you need to know your manufacturing processes are efficient you need to know that you're putting into place and working as a total industry in putting solutions in place for people and and one thing about this report when you when you read it, I think that you will, you will see that it actually does understand those different environments. And it understands that there are different requirements for different materials. So we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do as an industry in order to support the overall economic picture, but also do all the right things in terms of uh, looking after that product once it's used by the consumer. And I think that's truly what we're doing. I think PCRRG is a great example of that. But I think now is the opportunity for the wider industry to open the circle slightly wider and, and take more initiatives forward on some of the learnings that have come through and the insights that are coming out of organisations about how consumers react and how consumers act.
4: Um, I think the, the probably the biggest thing for me that's come out of, of um, certainly working within... Um, the sphere and the the level of importance that's given to packaging over the last, certainly the last few years, is that there is no um, there is no one quick solution. Um, and the most important thing is that everybody needs to work together on this. This isn't a question. This isn't a, we have there isn't a solution for manufacturers on their own or waste management companies on their own. Everybody needs to talk to everybody else to understand the whole system. Everything from um, the people who uh, use the packaging, the people who want the packaging, the people who make it, the people who distribute it, and then the people who dispose of it. If everything needs to be aligned and aligned to the waste infrastructure to allow it to be dealt with in a responsible way, that will allow the whole system to work. At the moment, and we are getting there, there's no question about it, that is changing. <coughs> but certainly, probably, f- I don't know, maybe five years ago, I remember when Alastair Storey gave his gave a speech at the um, FPA lunch at the House of Commons. He talked about the fact that the uh, various stakeholders weren't speaking to each other, weren't talking to each other, and that's starting to happen, and that's very encouraging for the future.
7: Um, I think um, the key thing for me is, is, is learning. Uh, we've, we're all on a journey together, and, um, and, and I think... Since we first started out on this journey, say uh, twenty fifteen I think it was now um, it was very reactive. We were responding to media attention um, and um, various uh, things that were being uncovered about the waste industry and, uh, and and we've had to kind of take hold of that journey and and find the responses to to some of that attention. but I think as we've gone on uh we've become a bit more proactive as an industry and certainly for us as, as an organisation. And we're, we're able to go and f- look for those solutions and find the solutions and actually bring them to our business. Um, and certainly through our work, um, I know that I'm constantly learning. I constantly have to be in touch with all of our suppliers, industry partners, um, the waste management industry, because this area is moving so quickly. Uh, and there's so much coming to market and so many new ideas that um, we have to validate those and look at those as to whether they are suitable for our business uh, and if so which parts of our business and make the right recommendations uh, as to where the best fit is for them and i think the other bit for for me is certainly education and trying to simplify this message Obviously, it's a hugely complex issue, and we can have these in-depth in discussion at these sorts of meetings today. But for for our clients, and certainly CEOs and our customers, they really want easy answers and, and easy, quick fixes. So it's up to us to kind of break those down, break the messages down into um, easy to understand solutions for them.
2: Great, thank you. David, we'll save your voice uh, since you've already presented for 25 minutes Um, and I'll open the discussion up to the floor. Um, If you'd like to ask a question, please just raise your hand and also if you could say who you are and which organisation you uh, represent beforehand, that would be great. There's one in the back corner.
7: Hi, Catherine Hinchcliffe from Bidfood. Knowing what we've learnt today and know about consumers and what motivates and enables them, Um, where would the panel feel we should focus our efforts most as an industry? Um, Reusing, recycling, or redesigning?
4: I'll take that one. (laughs) Um, I think probably the the redesigning and the reusing. Um, I'm not sure that uh, the consumer has an awful lot of Um, opportunity or or, or possibly awareness uh, to enhance the recycling. Now, I think everybody uh, fundamentally, uh, I mean, if you look at people's and the way they behave at home, they probably do their recycling properly at home. They probably rinse out their yogurt pots and put them in the recycling bin, etc. But for some reason, that doesn't happen at work. It doesn't happen on on the go. so I think the opportunity for us, as a, as a food service uh, industry, uh, is to go back to manufacturers, to talk to them about um, what, we, what we're looking for in our food service packaging, um, how, we can design, how that can be designed for, designed for recycling, because uh, at the moment, consumers haven't got a clue what they're supposed to do with the material. Um, and, and also, um, working with waste manufacturers to make sure that we have the right infrastructure within the right locations to, do, to recycle that packaging that's then being put forward uh, in front of them. Um, I think there's generally a lack of understanding, certainly from a consumer point of view. And often from a, from a client perspective, I think their clients are becoming more uh, informed by food service businesses in terms of what they can do with that packaging. But sometimes what is recyclable, what we might be recycling at home, isn't recyclable in the workplace. And a, that's, a fun, that's a fundamental gap. The yoghurt pot at home, you might rinse out and put in your recycling bin. That's, that's not going to happen in the workplace in most situations because of the uh, resources, the infrastructure, um, won't allow that to happen. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, potentially possible. So I think we have a, a huge job to do. Uh, and I, but I think engagement, and you mentioned about engagement, that's the most important thing.
5: Um, so I would say definitely not starting at recycling which is where you know to make a sweeping generalization that's where the industry is, is focused um, we are focused too much on the solutions that preserve the existing business model and not enough on addressing the real issue here which is that we face a climate and ecological crisis and we just need to be straight up about that and every sector every industry every individual needs to change so we address this and so insofar as design has a part to play I would say it is not about redesigning the single-use packaging it's about redesigning the way you provide your product or service we, we don't need more innovation in, in packaging that's not what the limiting factor here that's not what's preventing people from achieving reuse or or uh or preventing um, additional packaging waste and so you know as so long as we're still thinking about single-use, the best-case scenario is recycling and that relies on myriad consumers making the correct choices, having the right bin access and all of this stuff. And you will never achieve 100%, you'll be lucky to achieve 50%. Okay, so starting with recycling is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. In a sustainable and circular economy recycling is the least best option and the last resort. But we are starting with it as though it is the first thing. We need to stop thinking about preserving linear business models with recycling. And rather we need to start thinking about planetary preservation. I don't mean to be like overly dramatic, but that is really where we are here. And even if the packaging industry, you know, alone, sustainable packaging is not going to solve climate change. But we're past the point of making either or arguments about, oh, wouldn't we be better focusing our efforts over here? No, we're past that. Everyone needs to do better now and we need to carry that on forward. So I would agree with you that it is about reducing and redesigning, but not redesigning packaging, redesigning service provision to focus on the functions we need and how we can convey them. Because honestly, there is no such thing as unavoidable single-use packaging. Everything can be replaced. We just need to get more creative and more innovative about how we do our business.
3: David? Yeah, just to add something to that, and that's on uh, regulation. Um, a lot of the regulation, both in the UK and Europe, is, um, is very much focused on more recycling. Um, there are bans in there, but that's on plastic or plastic-lined products. So what all the regulation is doing, and this is the hard thing for businesses, I think, is the regulation is pushing them to step sideways to other materials that aren't plastic or more recyclable plastic, rather than look at some of these model changes that take you to reusables. And I think that's what we have to be careful of here is that the regulation isn't going to take us into this new sort of um, reusable revolution. If you look at it, that won't get us there. So the hard thing for businesses is to go beyond all that regulation, which is hard enough anyway, um, make the costs match up, and not to fall into the same trap that Boston Tea Party had, where you go it alone, and then it really impacts your business. So, yeah, regulation is very much focused on recycling, and so that's one of the big issues for businesses, I think.
2: Great. Any further comments from the panel on this question? I think think I'd just like to say, in
6: some ways, it comes down to all three aspects, because there are so many different environments out there. And I understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, a vision of something different, but here we're at a point where we need to take time to consider all the aspects of it. And that might include things like, and they'd love me to mention, but things like life cycle analysis do come into where we're going in the future. If we're going to get to a 2045 carbon neutral position, 2030 or wherever, different organisations or companies or governments are going to set as these kind of zero target points, then we've got to do it with real data and real information behind it. And that means there is still going to be a place for products in the marketplace. Packaging is about preservation and delivery of food in many options. And that means that protecting food far outweighs the packaging that surrounds it. So you need to consider all of those different aspects in there. And then the infrastructure for different businesses comes into it. So in certain closed environments, you can manage things extremely well. In wider environments, then we need to build that infrastructure, and we need to look after the products. And that, very often, turns into recycling through there. And, And that's why it has to be. Different parts of the industry will take different actions, and some of them will take Some of them will collaborate in a wider scale to take all the actions together, and and that's where we're going to go within this because the the economic model still is there at the end of the day. It is going to be a challenge going forward, but there are going to be numerous different routes to how we deal with any issues to do with packaging overall, which plays a vital role in the sustainability argument (coughs) overall.
4: So I just, add some, just my, the final thing I wanted to say on that was I, Alistair Story mentioned it earlier about the, um, the, the culture we have here in the UK of grab-and-go, uh, eating, grazing, eating, walking down the street, uh, picking up a sandwich in the, when you're at a service station in the car and eating as you go, whatever. Um, and that, that, start, that culture isn't going to go away anytime soon. Um, we look after a handful of uh, operations in mainland Europe. And it's, it's entirely different. Um, you'll see there in, in Brussels and they'll sit in, a, in their staff restaurant and they'll sit there for an hour and they'll have a meal on their, with a knife and fork on a plate and they'll talk to their colleagues, have a coffee and then go back to their desk. Uh, that just doesn't happen in the UK. So I think we need to be very mindful of the fact that actually, to a degree, uh, I absolutely, we need systemic change. We 100% because uh, of where we are um, uh, globally. But currently we're, we are where we are and we need to make sure we, we make the best of what we've got uh, whilst trying to make that, that, that systemic change. Um, I think there was, um, uh, we, we need to make sure that everything, is. As I mentioned before, I'm going over myself, but we, we need to make sure everything's aligned. But there is no one, one size fits all. So every different, lo- every single location we have up and down the UK has to have a separate solution because everybody is different and what, because that comes from inherently from the infrastructure, uh, from the waste management infrastructure, from the recycling and so on across the UK. What you can recycle in Manchester might be different to what you can recycle in Leeds. What might be different to what you can recycle in Cornwall. So everything has to have, there is no one size fits all as I've already said.
2: Selina, did you want to come in on that question? Well,
7: uh, my thoughts have already been echoed by by the panel. Um, I I would just add that um, um, the way that we approach things is is trying to challenge business as usual um, and trying to ask the right questions um, so that we get our colleagues thinking about whether they actually need a certain type of packaging, uh, whether they can move to reusable options and and thinking about reusables in terms of what can be washed and reused on sites in terms of crockery, uh, but also what reusables can be brought in by the customer, uh, like a reusable cup, uh, or even deposit return schemes. So it's around trying to find the right solution for the right type of environment, uh, and also um, echoing uh, what Mike's just said about recycling. All of our sites have different waste contractors and may have different... Uh, recycling capabilities uh, available to them so it's around having those conversations with your waste contractor as well because some of the the plastics and other packaging materials could actually be be collected and recycled and you may not need to essentially move away from a certain type of material
2: thank you more questions john
8: Thanks very much. John Twitchin uh, occasionally worked for Footprint, but not today. Um, so my, I suppose one point, first of all, I think, David, you mentioned it. Um, just to, I think, correct the Boston Tea Party position, uh, which is that they chose specifically to do what they did, and they planned, they af- assumed that they would lose takeaway custom, so that they didn't suddenly realise, wake up one day, that you know, they're out of business. They planned what they did. So I want to make that point clear. what they did is they showed incredible leadership uh, and demonstrated what the effect is. The effect is to drive behavior change um, as well as drive some customers away. So I think they've done two things and they need recognition for that. Um, My second point, I think, is... um, There's been a couple of uh, comments along these lines uh, from the panel, which is about... um, The economic model and the economic model at the moment some of these choices that are being made by businesses not by consumers they you know get what they're given what they're offered Um, but the economic model is one where the costs all the costs aren't necessarily incorporated because they're external costs by definition they're not regulated they're not required they're not paid for so someone else is paying someone who picks up the 500,000 coffee cups that are littered every day for example, so when those, all of those costs are taken into account, the model's different. So you might want to comment on EPR and where that's coming um, because the sooner the better, in my view, it will change the economic model and we'll all make different decisions. My third question, therefore, is around reusables, refillables. Um, and what, what position of leadership, what position are... Uh, each of the panelists going to going to look at or take or are planning they might not want to you know, blow their PR um, uh, re- rev- uh, reveal that 's coming up in, in a few weeks' time but what are, what are you going to do differently and better when you go home today
2: Thank you. who wants to tackle that Michael good man
5: um, yeah great great points, especially on the externalities front. Um, Single-use packaging is cheap and in fact uh, the whole we wouldn't be in this Situation with the environment if all the costs were borne by the companies and the business models, right? The reason things are profitable is often because the costs are externalized for free onto the environment That is why we have a climate crisis. That is why we have an ecological (coughs) crisis so under this this accounting error of a system we have there is nothing cheaper than single-use um, and, and that's an unfortunate issue and it's one that governments need to, um, to correct and, uh, and through things like cup charging and so on, that is where we're trying to bring these things to bear, um, but that'll take time. I think what's important to recognize is that um, the question here is not whether or not we need packaging, right? We've had packaging since we've had human civilization, so no one's saying that that needs to go away, but it's whether or not it needs to be single use. And it doesn't and um, single-use is not a category it's not a product category it's an approach to providing services and products and the approach is one where you replace labor with material that is it so think about it that way because that is really what's happening okay you are saying It is too expensive to wash something. It is too expensive to dry it or stock it or reverse logistics it or whatever. It is much easier to have a linear model where we just keep shooting out the same material. It is easier to to flog off 100 single-use cups than it is to wash one 100 times. That is why we have single-use and in every instance where you find single-use, that is the business decision that is being made. And there is no such thing as unavoidable single-use items. We need to focus on what functions they provide, what essential functions they provide, because a lot of them are superfluous things like, oh, branding and and consumer influence. Well, those can be done in many other ways. They don't need to be glued to the package, right? But where there is an essential service, let's get creative. Let's figure out ways of delivering that same service in a different way. And we can do that and, you know, this industry has some of the most innovative and creative people around. Why are we so busy focusing on recycling? It is, the, it is so boring and it's been done for 30 years. Let's move on.
2: Neil, j- just, I mean, you, clearly, you, as chair of the Paper Cup Recovery and Recycling Group, d- how do you, see, do you see that as a bridge to a reusable future or as a, as a potential solution in its own right?
6: The, the group's function was because the product was there and the industry has to take action on what it's doing. And it it looks at different um, products, it looks at different streams. We've got a lot going on around all of this as well. I mean, in the meantime, we've got consultation papers out on consistency, we've got consultation papers out on plastic taxes, we've got consultation papers out on DRS. We've got a lot of things going on in this arena that do. Change will, will come from the way that consumers act in terms of it. But just from a PCRRG point of view, I think that the 40 organisations that are within that got together because they recognised that there was action to take. And there is other organisations and other companies that are doing similar in the different environments that they work. You touched upon the House of Commons, which you know, is using compostable products, which have now, and I think the statement was made, is they've now ensured that that waste stream is working for them. And initially, they had some problems with it. So you know, all of these things, the infrastructure that's there, is, is going to have to change anyway to cope with the way that we are currently living our life. And as we change it, it will need to change again. And that might be then. and Mike touched upon it, different facilities, you know, different facilities to have different washing facilities available for them so that you do hygienically clean something. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, that's necessarily the point that was made in, within the one, of saying that's not the most important thing. Of course you can use a dirty product. You know, that's your fault if you, if you get ill from it. That's, that's not the way that real life works. I mean, you, do, you don't want to use a dirty product. So you need to have those facilities. And that might come down to the way that offices are going to be built in the future. That's the way that different facilities are going to be built. But in the, in the meantime, the industry is getting together and putting something in place. And a good example of that is if you've got 100 people working in an office and you don't have those types of facilities built into it, one, you can go and try and find a way of doing it, it's fine. Second is you can put in some facilities for your staff that then help them dispose of their products and different types of packaging and different types of waste overall in the most efficient way. So there are lots of ways that we can approach this. And it doesn't all come down to to recycling. There are many things, and food waste, is one of those key factors in there as well, is how do we deal with that in the longer term, and we've got to find ways and facilities of doing that. In answer to your other question, is I hope that I live my life in a, you know, in a very good way. I'm careful about what I do, I think about it all the time in terms of my actions within what I'm doing. On the other side, I also have to see and work with industry in terms of trying to do the best thing for our products that are in the marketplace. So there's a mixture of things that go on. And as a company, all of those things are thought of in the product development process. You don't just walk in there and you go, okay, let's just do that. There's a whole list of checks, balances, work, detail behind it. And that's where I think we do need to spend some time. And it's good that organizations are now putting time, effort into making sure that the information that they've got is much better. Although your report points out that, in your opinion, it's still far short of perfect.
2: Thanks, Nils. David, do you want to come on? Um,
4: I was just going to say that certainly in our business, we've got a, and there's, a there's a whole myriad of, of different programs and projects going on, from, um, from reusables, from using um, uh, ceramics, crockery, for example, within eating, eating In, to also to encouraging people to bring uh, their own reusables, not only just reusable cups, but also reusable salad boxes and uh, Tiffin style boxes and all that sort of stuff, um, giving discounts, charging for packaging. There's more and more of that going on. I, uh, that was in the report. One of my quotes from the report was on the board, on the screen earlier. Um, we've got sites that are actually introducing um, charging. So in terms of loss aversion theory, that's having a huge impact. Um, and also we've got clients that are actually changing infrastructure within their own uh, uh, estate. So we've got a, uh, one particular client, uh, across the whole of the UK, and they're actually going through a program of change. So they're actually introducing um, uh, more robust dishwashers as they refurbish their tea points and what have you throughout all of their buildings in the UK. So they can take into account getting rid of all of their paper vending cups. They're all going across the whole of the UK, and they're introducing ceramic mugs. Clearly, the one, the one thing you, I'd say on that is you've got to be careful that the balance is right in terms of those ceramic mugs are looked after and they're not broken too quickly therefore you get enough uses out of them to make it the right way to go to go for a reusable rather than uh, a disposable but as long as that's all in place then i think that's what's happening and it's certainly we can see it in our business
3: happening now yeah i take your point entirely on boston tea party and it wasn't i'm certainly not saying they shouldn't have done it i'm, I'm really glad they did but What other businesses are now doing is being able to point to them and say, oh, it's too expensive, it doesn't work. And the problem wasn't with what Boston Tea Party did, it was that there were not others doing it to give you the density and make it convenient for people. You've got to have, if you're going to do a reusable scheme on the high street, and I would love to see, for example, some of the big high street brands get together and try it in a small town, for instance, have a deposit and return scheme, see if it works and i'm sure you'd get you know more towards the figures that nick found on his report with no impact on sales rather than the boston tea party so i think you do need that density and just on reusables i think um the other thing that we need to look at is is this a missed opportunity because there are small businesses trying these reusable schemes um and it's going to happen pretty quickly. Uh, so if the rest of the industry isn't on board, then you could, you, know, you could well miss out here because there are real branding and marketing opportunities there as well. Like I was talking just before um, this event about um, Starbucks reusable cups. It looks like a disposable Starbucks cup. There should be some differentiation there. You know, still know that it's a Starbucks cup, but it's a reusable one and then they can start getting some reputational branding benefit from these reusable schemes
7: i think um, attitudes to introducing reusables have certainly changed um, i remember about a year and a half ago receiving a complaint from a customer they went to a site and there was only disposables available um, and no reusable crockery at all even though there was a seating area and when I challenged the site, they said the dishwasher was broken. Um, and you know, certainly minds have changed a lot since then because now we have our sites proactively introducing reusables. Uh, one of our uh, very large contracts in Wales has just completely removed cling film by introducing reusable containers uh, back of house. Uh, We've got lots and lots of sites removing uh, their paper cups, replacing them with with reusable cups, incentivising customers to bring in their reusables. So it definitely is um, certainly changing uh, in the minds of of our consumers and our our own people as well.
2: Thanks, Selina. Further questions? The front.
0: As we jump towards reusables, are we in danger
8: of
2: sort of going away from our carbon neutral goals by shipping lots of crockery over from China in the cheapest possible, you know, thinnest possible material, which will then get damaged? Whereas manufacturing a plastic up in the UK could have a lot less you know, sort of carbon impact. So I guess that's a question about life cycle analysis to an extent, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well,
6: yeah, okay, so. And again, the data is, it needs to be comparisons that are made. So now I switch back to a slightly different hat, okay? I wear them which is that, the, that along with um, Storenzo, who published a life cycle analysis, which was done completely independently uh, by VTT, which is a very experienced <coughs> organisation. What it tells you is that there are certain thresholds to consider. And if you don't consider those thresholds, then the long-term position, you may never get to where you want to go. In certain circumstances, it works. When you recycle something, then you reduce that carbon impact because you bring those fibers back into, into the system. A bit like plastics, and we're talking about how much more uh, recycled plastics can we get back into products. So there are cert- definitely certain circumstances where you know, the life cycle analysis will do exactly what you are saying. It will question whether or not you're ever going to achieve that point. And I think this is where we are at the moment. So the unintended consequences that were were mentioned in there certainly need very heavy investigation in order to come up with the facts about what it would be. That that report says if your dishwasher is inefficient, it could well be you'll never get there from a cycle analysis point of view. So there are those kind of considerations that are, are in that. And I would suggest that I, I you know, welcome anybody to go out and you know, look at that report, it's available. Um, and we'll happily as well provide the background from what was done independently in there. Now it wasn't out to evidence one way, what it was out to do was to show the balance points. In other words, it was to show the points at which the, the, you know, it swung one way or the other, and then people can start to decide factually what might be better for their business to consider. But I think somebody else pointed out, as well, loads of different types of estates, loads of different types of uh, equipment, etc., out there. But it has to be a consideration for the longer
7: term.
2: Mike, Mike, can I ask you to be brief? Because I'd like to touch on regulation before we... Yeah, just, just very, applause. very quickly,
4: then. Um, I Refer everyone back to the waste hierarchy. And I think that's the way to look at it, in terms of uh, prevent, reduce, reuse, recycle, and so on. So the the top of the hierarchy is prevent, so let's not not make the waste in the first place. However, we need to be realistic and understand that that isn't always possible. But what we probably can do is reduce the amount of waste we're producing. So, for example, Selena mentioned about um, cling film and getting rid of cling film and replacing it with reusable Tupperware-style boxes. You might not be able to get rid of all the cling film, but you might be able to get rid of half the cling film and have some Tupperware boxes. So it's about balancing and understanding your operations, your locations, and your infrastructure within your site as to what's possible. But if we can't prevent, I'm almost certain we can reduce.
2: So we have, thanks, Mike. We have a, about five or 10 minutes left. I'd just like to touch on regulation, because you know, that frames a lot of the conversation. It's something we haven't touched on a great deal. There's obviously been a raft of policy proposals brought forward by the government, um, so it would be great to get the panel's view on are they the right ones, do they go far enough, what's missing and are we in danger perhaps of, of simply moving from one set of single use disposable materials to another and not reshaping the entire system as, as Michael challenged us to do at the start?
7: Um, well- I'm quite excited about the legislation that might be coming, as one can be excited about legislation. <laughs> um, I, think, I think they are the right um, pieces of legislation, but I think um, they couldn't come soon enough. It feels like uh, the industry and consumers and businesses are, are ready uh, for legislation to come, but we've, we've got a few years uh, and a few barriers in between um, for, for that to come forward. Um, but I think there is a danger because there are, there are four different pieces of legislation uh, and the timescales are not really aligned and led by different parts of government. There is a danger that they could be poorly implemented and not complement each other the way that uh, the consultation is set out um, to, to work together. and, and they, They won't work together if if one of them falls off or is not implemented properly um, then we won't get the infrastructure that that we're looking for in order to to help solve this problem with inconsistent materials across the uk uh, recovering those materials to make more products out of recycled uh, recycled uh, plastics um, and actually um, get this (coughs) system to work in the way that that we envisage it can
2: anyone else want to come in
4: yeah I mean I hundred percent agree uh, with Selena it's got to be joined up um, they've all got to work together uh, I'm I personally uh, I'm, I'm quite pro uh, regulation as long as it's um, obviously within certain limits and it's not out of hand because it creates it enforces change and it creates the change that we need and it creates it quickly uh, and that's the key um, I'm not sure that market forces and uh, Programs on TV will create the change quick enough um, to make to make the difference. Um, so I'm quite pro, uh, as long as it's done properly. Um, and what does concern me is obviously the current distraction that's going on within government. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying it um, actually will won't won't de- uh, detract and mean that it will be a this won't go properly.
2: Michael, do, do you want to quickly reflect on what's happening in Scotland? Because I know things are slightly different up there, and, and whether you think that suite of proposals is well targeted.
5: Well, um, so the first is that we're bringing in a deposit return scheme. Uh, so that'll be the first um, devolved administration to bring that in in the UK. It's a very tried and tested scheme. It's been around since the 70s, and there's about 40 countries that use it. So. Uh, there's no doubt that it works, um, and it will contribute to increased recycling outcomes in Scotland. As I mentioned, there's a recommendation um, made in August now uh, for separate charging on cups, and ultimately the, the legislation that we believe will be put through is, is will open the door for considering how separate charging might be applied elsewhere for the same reasons of, uh, of highlighting costs and giving consumers more information to make more informed decisions. So. Um, it's encouraging to see uh, the, the flexibility of devolved administrations being used to um, advance legislation at different paces and it, it creates an opportunity to test some of these concepts and I'm sure you know, we've already seen the, at the UK or the English level um, moves towards deposit return as well and I, I think you know, learning there will be learning and, and, uh, and, and Scotland will be able to show how that can work and maybe flag some ways that um, improvements can be made and so on. Great,
2: thank you.
6: Neil, David, anything to add? Uh, I suppose just to comment, which is that I'm, I'm pleased through all of this, is that the com- roundtable conversations are going on with different departments of governments, with administrators, with legislators, and that we're actually having a pretty open conversation generally around the table between um, industry um, and consumers around the table, uh, NGOs around the table. So there is a lot of a lot of discussions going on around that, which I think of, are then drawing together all the information in a, in a fairly collective way, and again just going back to the one, if the information going in there is right and correct and we're researching it properly, hopefully we'll come up with the right conclusions in the way that legislation works going forward. Great,
2: thank you. Well listen, we're, we're coming to the end of our time, and I know Neil in particular needs to leave with some urgency. So unless there's any other burning and very quick questions from the floor, and there does appear to be one at the front, so can I ask you to make it as as quick and punchy as possible, please?
3: Sure. Um, So we live in a world where data is the new gold,
6: and many of the most valuable businesses in the world have adopted this whole Many of your businesses are hugely data-rich, has anyone explored the data gathering opportunities afforded from reusable products as a way to cross the economic
2: hurdles within reusable packaging? Great question. If it can be tackled briefly, <laughs> which I somewhat doubt, but uh, have a go. David?
4: Uh,
3: yeah, I think it comes slightly towards my point about marketing and branding opportunities. Because the more you know about your customers, um, the more you can encourage them to keep coming back. And so reusables is one option where you can learn a lot more about your customers. How often are they coming back? What are they buying? That kind of thing. And that, that data is invaluable for businesses, um, not only for uh, repeat custom, but also in, in terms of improving efficiencies as well. So there's a huge benefit from, from reusables there. I just
6: make, make a point that spins around slightly is where reusable isn't the chosen option, then. Packaging has a great opportunity to educate and to talk to the consumer as well. So the use of QR codes, the use of uh, messaging on packaging to get it to its final destination could also be useful. And we tried, uh, we are working with organizations like the on recycling label company to look at how consistent messaging can happen. And that might also then give consumers information and they might be able to make their own Decisions and decisions about what they, they do going forward. So we're trying to be honest about it everything as well
5: Yeah, it's a it's a great question and uh, I'm I'm quite encouraged by the number of SMEs and startups that I've been working with who are really rethinking from the ground up some of these business models and they have some really good ideas and uh, and actually are piloting and taking them forward um, That give them new insights into consumers. So you know, you may not be able to track, for example, my cash purchase um, but if I'm bringing the same reusable container in and one day I fill it with this product and the next time I fill it, fill it with a competing product and then again with that same competing product, you've picked up on a, on a, a choice that I've made to switch from one product to another uh, that you wouldn't otherwise get. And that's really interesting insight also on, on the frequency of purchases and so on. Um, So there's lots of really cool insights that they're getting there and uh, I do think it's a real big opportunity, part of the opportunity that comes with these new business models and new ways of providing services.
2: Great, thank you. Well, listen, I think we're going to leave the session there, but can I ask you to show your appreciation for the (laughs) panellists and their contribution? So it falls to me to offer a few concluding thoughts. Um, and I hope you agree, it's been a, it's been a rich discussion um, and I really do urge you to go, go away and read either... Thank you, Neil, thank you. Um, read the report, either this evening or, or tomorrow. Um, because I think it's, it's a really good moment to be producing a piece of content like this. Um, because this is an issue that's not going anywhere. It's not going away. And as David framed in his initial presentation, The growth trajectory of of food to go is predicted to increase, I think, by about 10% up until 2025, according to IGD. So there are real questions there about how that growth can be sustainable. Um, Can we we do so in a way that doesn't rely on single-use packaging but retains margin at the same time? Um, And we heard from Neil about the role of packaging, you know, It's important for preservation. Uh, It's important because people want convenience. Um, And in the food service sector, it's such a fragmented industry that there's no one size fits all solution. Different businesses with different infrastructures will see fit to to have different approaches. And Selena told us about some of the job that businesses have to do of educating their own clients. If clients are coming to a caterer asking for a particular packaging type, do you know that there is a route to disposal for that material? Or can you work with the client to try and educate them that actually this might be a better solution? And Mike told us about the collaboration that's happening across the supply chain. Conversations that perhaps weren't happening five years ago are now common. And there's more of of an approach in terms of thinking about redesigning packaging with recycling or recovery or reuse in mind, or at least to have some kind of value for the end product. Um, And it seems apt to end on Michael's challenging views in terms of, you know, we need not to focus necessarily on solutions that reinforce existing business models, but to look for solutions that actually create a better system overall. I think that's the challenge that all of us will face in the years ahead, and perhaps in five years' time, if we were to reconvene this group, we might be somewhere along the path to achieving that better system. So thank you very much for attending. Um, There will be drinks served next door. It's a Monday evening after all, so what better time to uh, have a glass of wine or a beer. Um, But thank you again for attending and uh, have a safe journey home afterwards. (coughs)